Psalm 107 says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So maybe we should say so. God is good all the time. Oh, it's good to worship with you today and uh, to share with you in this service. What, what beautiful music. What a great time to share together. It's been a sort of amazing weekend for us and many of you have uh, been praying for us. And so I thought I might sort of, for the whole group, kind of tell you where we are um, in our efforts to bring uh, Casey uh, into our home, uh, a little girl, uh, um, a cousin whose mother passed away on uh, Christmas Eve, and um, we had a court hearing at 10 o'clock on, on uh, I'm sorry, at 1.30 on Friday uh, afternoon, and um, part of it was postponed to two weeks from Friday at 9 o'clock in the morning, so you can be praying on the 30th at 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, but another part of it was fulfilled, and there was a, an order for a, a home study of our home uh, in preparation for her perhaps to come and visit with us. And uh, we hope by uh, perhaps by when school gets out this year that we will um, have a chance for her to move into our home. There are many uh, dangerous tools and snares. It's a little bit, some of you have been through this, like a roller coaster. And uh, so we're along for the ride, but as a good friend of mine, uh, up in Washington, D.C., reminded me this week, when when God is working, all you can do is just hold on. And so that's what we're doing. We're holding on to Him. And uh, we had a great weekend with Casey. We had a chance uh, to be with her. I discovered, though I've walked by it many times, apparently, in the mall, that there's a place called Claire's. And um, <laughs> I've never been to Claire's, but apparently some of you have been. And uh, uh, that's where we accessorize. And so... We went and accessorized for a while, and then, would, would you believe it, just across the uh, mall, there's a place called Build-A-Bear, and so we did Build-A-Bear, and uh, we dressed the bear, and then uh, we went to the movie uh, Bedtime Stories, and uh, afterward, we went back to Claire's, because the bear might need some accessories, and so uh, that was a lot of fun, and we got to watch her play basketball yesterday morning, and uh, our hearts are just taken with this little girl. And God is working, and we are grateful for that. So thank you for your prayers, and thank you for standing with us. I've said before, and I say again, one of the great reasons we would love to bring her into our home is we think this is a great place. This church is a great place for kids to be loved and discipled and taught. So we are rejoicing in the way God is working. So did you hear this week about the man who wants his kidney back. This is a sort of extraordinary story. I take it some of you did. This Long Island surgeon, Dr. Richard Batista, who um, some years ago when his wife was very ill, gave his kidney to her and uh, she was apparently healed uh, through that process. But uh, now they're going through a divorce and it's a very painful public kind of divorce. And this week he said... In view of all that has happened, I want my kidney back. And if I can't have my kidney back, I'd like to have a million and a half dollars to make me feel better about losing my kidney. And it's a very tragic kind of story. And uh, one of the accusations in the story is an accusation of infidelity. And the words were, there's no deeper pain or betrayal from somebody you loved and devoted your whole life to. Now, you know well enough to know that we don't know these people well enough to know what has happened in this story. So I hope you'll understand when I say I don't I have a dog in the fight and I don't really know who's right or who's wrong. But I did think this week, if somebody gave you their kidney, 
just hypothetically, if you needed a kidney and somebody gave you their kidney, that would create an extraordinary kind of relationship, not only physically, but I would think emotionally, that there would be some sense of indebtedness that would say, you have given me life, and because of that, I want to share my life with you. I'm interested in our culture, in the fascination with adultery, with uh, even television shows to that extent. And the word that is frequently used is the word cheat. It's a word that we used in different ways when I was growing up. At least I think we used it in different ways. For instance, I was going to ask, and please don't raise your hand, I wonder if any of you have ever cheated in a game. Like you're playing in a game, and maybe Monopoly, and you were the banker. And uh, you needed an extra payday. Or, or, or I wonder if maybe ever in a classroom you were sitting and you looked over somebody's shoulder and saw what their answer on the history test was. Or I wonder if anybody here, please don't raise your hand, has ever cheated on your taxes. Anybody. Or perhaps cheated on a relationship. Has anybody here ever cheated on God? I invite you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Hosea. It's an Old Testament story, a beautiful love story that doesn't start so well, but has a fabulous ending. And we might hear our story as we read this story. Let's stand together to read God's Word. Hosea chapter 1, I'm going to read nine verses in chapter 1 and then five verses in chapter 3. You can Track with me as I read about God's redeeming love. Hosea 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. And then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer show love to the house of Israel that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to the house of Judah and I will save them not by bow, sword or battle, by horses and horsemen, but by the Lord their God. And after she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. And then the Lord said, call him Lo-Ami, for you are not my people and I am not your God. In chapter 2, Gomer leaves and Hosea is left pleading with the children to plead with their mother to come back home. And he seeks to woo her and win her heart back. And in chapter 3, verse 1, the Lord said to me, go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord Loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. And then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. 
and I will live with you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or idol. And afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. What an amazing love story. young preacher named Hosea is just beginning to preach, just beginning to speak for God, but woe to the preacher who wants to speak for God when God has not first spoken to him. And so God speaks to Hosea, and God says to him, "I want you to take a wife." I want you to take Gomer as your wife. And perhaps he is looking back and realizing that from the beginning, Gomer was going to be adulterous. Or perhaps it is as we read it that exactly as God was telling him, God said, and by the way, she's going to be adulterous. But it must have been a great shock for him in the dissolution of that marriage when she went away. But that is thankfully not the end of their story because... There comes a day when Hosea purchases Gomer, we believe, off the slave auction block and brings her back to his home and their relationship is redeemed. But this story is not just about Hosea and Gomer. It is about Hosea and Gomer, but it's not just about them. It's also about God and Israel. The God who loved Israel and chose Israel when Israel was not particularly faithful and chose Israel for himself, and, and there was this marriage of God and nation, and they became his chosen people, but they became unfaithful, and they betrayed God, and God feels that betrayal very deeply. If you read the book of Hosea this week, as I have in the past week, you realize that this is really about God and the anguish that he feels and the agony he experiences over the sin of his people. But I would go beyond that and say for our purposes this morning, this is not just about Hosea and Gomer. It's not just about God and Israel. But it's about God and us. It's about our relationship with Him. And we sang recently, and we will surely sing again, Great is Thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. And I was thinking about God's great faithfulness this week. It's hard not to think about God's great faithfulness. To think about just the waves of love that come crashing into our lives from the heart of the Heavenly Father. It's hard not to think about His faithfulness. And I thought, how I love that song. And then I thought, I wonder if somebody said, can we switch the pronouns for a week? And could we sing to God honestly, great is our faithfulness, Lord, unto Thee. Would we sing as loudly as we sing it the way it's written? It'd be hard, wouldn't it? Because I am absolutely convinced of God's faithfulness to us. But when I think of our faithfulness to God, I have concerns I have concerns for our nation, to be sure, but I have even uh, more pressing concerns about those who claim to follow Christ. And in this story of redeeming love, we discover that God's answer for our rebellion is redemption. 
That God has an answer for our sin. That God's arm is not shortened. That God is able to overcome the worst in us because when we're at our worst, God is at His best. This is the story I want us to hear together this morning. That first, sometimes like Gomer in chapter 1, we rebel and run away from God. Hear the story with me, the story of a young preacher. I remember the joyful day when I realized that Melanie would indeed marry me and that was a wonderful day. I too was a single preacher and I was seeking God's will and praying and you know what I knew about pastor's wives? I knew this. They had to be able to play the piano. Because in the little country churches where I preached, there was a two for one deal. And so it was a good thing. I met Melanie and she was an accountant. And for a month as we were falling in love, I had no idea she played the piano. And then her mother spoke music into my ears and said, has she played the piano and the organ for you yet? And we retired to the living room where verily, verily, Melanie did. And I remember when we left our first church, they said, we hate to see you go, but we hate even more that you're taking our piano player with you. It was a grievous time. Well, at least we would expect of a pastor's wife, I would think, just thinking out loud with you, that that person would be devoted to the Lord and devoted to purity. And so when, when God, isn't this a scandalous word in chapter 1, verse 2, when he says, take to yourself a wife, and by the way, she's adulterous, and by the way, many of the young women in the land of Israel at that time would go and they would worship God on one day and worship Baal on the next, and Baal was the god of fertility, and if, and if they were to live a, a moment of impurity, that was supposed to make greater fertility come to the land, and Israel, the northern kingdom, had bought into that hook, line, and sinker. And we think, what a primitive world Hosea preached in. And then on the Internet this week, the story of a young woman somewhere who is willing to auction off her purity to the highest bidder. The world has not changed as much as we wish it had. And when he goes on to talk about their treacherous practices and how there's lying and cursing and adultery in the land and those who have in business unbalanced scales who would deceitfully take advantage of others financially. I remember reading about Madoff, and I don't understand Ponzi schemes. Perhaps some of you who know economics better than I could explain it to me, but it sounds like Madoff made off with a lot of people's money. That's what it sounds like to me, like he was appropriately named. And I could rail about the sinfulness in our world and how awful the world is, but I'd rather focus for these moments on us and just think about how in our lives sometimes, even though we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ and we're grateful for everything He has done, in small and subtle ways, we cheat on Him by proving to be unfaithful in the way that we live. I wonder if you and I could admit that. You know, I became a part of uh, Facebook recently and um, Facebook has... Uh, a category there about about your marital status. I discovered it, I guess, two weeks into Facebook that it asked the question whether I was married or single. And so I typed in married to Melanie Brooks. And then it broadcast across the nation. Dwayne Brooks has married Melanie. Now, I didn't mean after 25 years to just... And my son sent me a letter and said, I'm glad you all finally got married. And I said, you know, okay, I need to give Facebook up. 
But along the way in Facebook, there are categories, whether you're married or you're single or you're in a relationship. And then there's another one. You remember what it is? Some of you are in Facebook. It's it's complicated. And we would have to say that when we receive Christ, that we accepted relationship with him and his love for us. But for some of us, if we had to honestly, anonymously check the box today about our relationship with God, we would have to say it's complicated. It's complicated. In fact, what we see is this um, evidence of unfaithfulness is that just if you'll notice in verse four, uh, when the first child is verse, verse three, so he married Gomer, daughter of Dibblim, she conceived and bore, notice, bore him a son. But as we read further about Loruhama, whose name means not loved, and Loami, not my kid, there are questions about the products of their relationship, whether or not the children are really... This is before tabloid TV, before somebody does a DNA test. There's just this, perhaps, suspicion that this child is not my child. And more than that, as we read chapter 2, we find God saying in verse 4, I will not show my love to her children because they are the children of adultery. This is God speaking about the evidence of unfaithfulness. And there is evidence in their life. And there comes this moment when God says... How can I look over the products of your lives when they are not from me? Whatever is coming out of your life doesn't resemble me, God says. It resembles your relationship with some idol, something else you worship instead of me. So you're addicted to sports or you're addicted to sensuality or you're addicted to materialism. And the result of your life doesn't look anything like me, God says. Because if I were working your life, I would produce, he goes on to say later, The fruit of righteousness. We saw that last week in Philippians. The fruit of righteousness. What fruit comes out of our lives? God later says to the people through Hosea, all of your fruitfulness is found in me. You want to bear fruit? Live in relationship with me, God says, and you'll bear fruit. You'll bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Live in relationship with me. And you will bear fruit. The fruit of a Christian is another Christian. Live in relationship with me. But we would have to confess today that the reason why we're not bearing godly fruit is because we're not living in intimacy of relationship with the Heavenly Father. And the results are manifest in our lives. I was shocked when I read these words In verse 4 of chapter 2, I will not show my love to her children. They are children of adultery. When we were there yesterday, I asked the house mom and house dad who've been there 29 years, they're a picture of faithfulness to that ministry to children. They've had nearly 200 children come through Cottage One over the last 29 years. Larry Bertrand and Debbie are a picture of faithfulness in ministry at Tallowood. As I sat here last week and looked around me at the other preachers, you know, I'm thankful for the long tenures of your preachers, 10 years and 20 years and 5 years, and we're going on 11 years. But even more, as I looked at the lives of those men, that their stories are stories of faithfulness to God, to their churches, and to their spouses. That's a remarkable thing in our world. And we should be grateful for that heritage because what Hosea says is like people, like priests, that the the spiritual leaders have gone astray and so the people have gone astray. And he takes exception with that. God takes exception with spiritual leaders and says, my people die for lack of knowledge. And I was just talking with this couple yesterday and I said, so who is the typical kid who comes to your home? They have all girls, seven girls. 19, 18, 15, 14, 11, 11, and 9. You think your life is complicated. 
they're taking care of seven girls. And I said, who do you typically get? And they said, you know who we typically get? We get the girl whose mom marries another man or lives with another man. And that man begins to harm the child. And the mother chooses the man over her own child. And we get the child. And I thought, what a world we live in. Isn't that amazing? A a world that is clearly unfaithful. And I know the world around us is adulterous. This same man John was saying to me yesterday, we live in an adulterous nation. We do. But can I just say this morning, I think the greater issue of adultery is not something you're going to see on a tabloid television show about a husband and a wife. The greater issue of adultery in our country is between people and God. And here's the deal. God has been faithful. And we are so often unfaithful. We sing prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And I want us to see the anguish and the agony of the heart of God. It's easy to move quickly and say Israel was unfaithful and Jesus was the answer. But in between, God's heart is absolutely broken by the sin of His people. So broken that I think if we knew what it does to the heart of the Heavenly Father when we sin, we would would live differently. We would make different choices if we knew the agony that it brings in the heart of of the Heavenly Father. But that's not the end of the story. The story goes on. It's, a, it's a, a, an amazing ending to the story because in chapter 3 we see God saying, go back and, and tell the one whose name is not loved that I love him. Uh, tell the one whose name is not my child that I love her. Tell them that I love them. God says, go again to Gomer, whose name means beautiful. But we have the sense as she stands on the auction block that her beauty has lost its sheen. That the uh, choices she has made have compromised her life in an amazing way. And, and it is, as John Eldridge says, the heart of the Heavenly Father would be like if you and I went to our spouse and said, I'm ready to take you back no matter what you've done. And our spouse said, fine, but I still love the other person. That's the broken heart of God in this story. And so he says in chapter 3, verse 1, go back to her, but she's still in love with the other man. But go back to her. This is God's dilemma. Remember Romans chapter 5 verse 8. It wasn't when you and I cleaned up our act. But while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Lest we think for a moment that it's our own efforts at reformation and renovation and resolutions. That somehow get our lives straight. It is all of God. God's the only one who can straighten out the messes we make of our lives. But believe me when I say he can. And he pursues us. And pleads with us to come back to Him. And if that were not enough, He purchases us. And so Hosea buys Gomer for 15 shekels. 30 shekels of silver was the price of a slave. But he only has 15 shekels. Can you imagine him standing there looking at her on the auction block? In our mind's eye, raising his hand to bid. And the bid goes higher than the amount of money he has. But he remembers he has food at home. And he would take not only the money but also the food with which he would feed his children and use all of that to purchase her back. And he says to her, and this is so important, your days of wandering are through. You will not live with another man. And the passage that says, I will love you, you know what it literally says in Hebrew? I will wait for you. You are worth 
the weight. Can you imagine him saying that to her? Can you imagine a faithful wife saying that to an unfaithful husband? You are worth the weight. Have you seen the movie Fireproof? Many of you told me about it. Melanie and I finally, while the rest of the world was watching the big ball drop, we were actually in our hotel room near New York and we were watching Fireproof, the movie. And I was amazed at the way the heart of the faithful spouse turned the heart of the spouse who was tempted to unfaithfulness. How God restored, as uh, the scriptures say, the locust years in the book of Joel. God brought back that which was lost and reconciled that marriage. And we're talking about reconnecting. And I thought this morning we might think about reconnecting with God. Coming back to the God who has pursued us like the hound of heaven who has, who has pursued us. Though as the poem says, we fled Him. As we fled Him down the, the days and down the years and through the mist of tears, we hide from Him. But He will not give us up. Oh, love that will not let me go. This is the love of the Heavenly Father who keeps calling us back to Himself who loves us with an undying, redemptive love. And I read John Green's story this week, and it was almost unbelievable to hear about the American serviceman who was in love with his wife and went overseas to serve. And while he was there, fell in love with another woman and stopped writing letters home. And then, and then his wife heard the news that he had fallen in love with a woman there and that they had had a child and that another child was on the way. And the heartbroken wife back here in the United States, to hear that her husband said, I'm not coming home after the war. I'm going to stay here. And then getting another letter from the woman, his husband, her husband had chosen over her. And this woman said, your husband is very sick. And then later, another letter that said, your husband died. But he said to me that I could ask you if you would sponsor me and our two children to come to the United States. What would you do? That's absurd. Some counselor in our midst would say, now that is codependence, but do not. Stay far away from that. Stay far. And she pondered that. And then she bought the plane tickets. And she brought the woman and the two children, products of the unfaithfulness of her husband, to the United States. And, and when they met in the what would you have done in the airport? They embraced and with God-like forgiveness, she welcomed this woman and those children into her life. That's unbelievable. And it almost sounds wrong, doesn't it? Something about that's just not right. But I was wondering, if somebody loved you like that, look, if somebody gave you their kidney, would you be faithful to them? What if they gave you their only son, to die for your sins. Is there any way you could say no to this God? I didn't think so. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your amazing presence in this place. Thank you for loving us with an undying love. Help us now, I pray, to be faithful to you, our faithful God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.